0: riverside church podcast riverside church is a community of believers striving side by side for the gospel in the greater new orleans area for more information about riverside church go to riversidelife.org in turn there uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 41 this morning Uh, This is a long passage, as you saw, I didn't read it all to you. Uh, We'll cover that whole passage as best as we can this morning. Um, I struggled with the idea of dividing that up in this passage up into multiple sermons. Uh, And though that would probably be um, something we could do, I often think there's value in seeing the whole thing. This is a one event that happens as the Spirit comes at Pentecost and and, uh, Peter preaches the first Christian sermon, uh, talking about Joel and David and the Psalms and all of these things. I hope that we see it all together uh, this morning. The church calendar is marked by momentous days in redemptive history. We celebrate. We just got done celebrating last month. We celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. We celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection at Easter, and we often long for the future day of Jesus's return as we talk about the second coming in our celebration, I wonder if we would do well uh, to put a little more emphasis on two other momentous events uh, that take place in this time uh, that we see in the gospel and Acts. Namely, the two events of the ascension of Christ and the, and the, and the uh, giving of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, and I I know it's hard to imagine what celebrating the Ascension and and Pentecost might might look like, because after all, the seasons of Christmas and Easter are surrounded with cultural celebrations as well that gives this certain feel to the to the grandness of what we celebrate at times like Christmas and and Easter, with the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so, sometimes I think think it's hard for us uh, to imagine what it might be like to celebrate. Pentecost, but I hope at the end of the sermon this morning, you'll see perhaps we need to uh, do a better job of remembering and celebrating Pentecost. And part of me wonders if uh, something about Pentecost um, makes us uneasy. Because there's something about Pentecost that makes me a little bit uneasy, not just because we're talking about uh, these tongues of fire, as is described, that is coming down. But but when we start talking about Pentecost and and, and Pentecostal power, oftentimes that's been associated with things like speaking in tongues, slaying in the Spirit, pew jumping, among other religious extracurriculars that perhaps you've heard about throughout your time. I remember being real uncomfortable with this idea uh, of Pentecost, um, where I went to high school, we went on a senior retreat. Um, and I went to a, a Catholic high school. And uh the in, in during that time there was a big movement called the uh charismatic, the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Do you all remember that? And that was a big thing going on during that time. And so do we had a prayer service, uh, one of the final nights of our retreat, and they said they're gonna be laying on hands, laying in the spirit and um and tongues and all of this stuff. I'm thinking this is wild. And they said I was like the only uh Protestant, the Baptist in the room. So like, Jared, why don't you go up at the beginning of this and kind of you know prime the pumps a little bit so that they see folks? Going on because I, I know you're all about this. I'm like, wait a second. Uh, no, that's <laughs> you just lumped us all into one, one category there. Like that 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 makes me un- uncomfortable. And even what we talk about in Pentecost is not talking about that type of speaking in tongues and slaying in the spirit. All those things that have been tied up with this idea of Pentecostal power. But I hope something that we see together this morning is that this momentous day when the Spirit is poured out, this day of Pentecost is still reverberating as the church seeks to bring the gospel to every tribe, tongue, nation, and land. And I hope that when we get to the end of this, in the next 25 minutes or so, that you say, praise God for the day of Pentecost. This is something that we celebrate. This is something that we need to remember and constantly be reminded of the glorious day where the Lord poured out His Spirit. For 10 days, the disciples, some 120 of them, were waiting and because they were waiting well, as we talked about last week, they were ready. They waited in obedience and patience and unity. All the while they were keeping the Lord's watch. They were praying. Their eyes were on the hill. Where would our help come from? When would God send us the helper that he promised? And then as fire from heaven, their help comes as the Lord pours out his spirit upon his people. So let's go ahead and take a look. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The first thing I want us to consider is the day. The day that the Spirit came. Look at verse 1. We're going to move a little slowly towards the front end of this, of this passage and probably a little more uh, quickly through the second half. This is just, a, just look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. In one place. When the day of Pentecost arrived, there they were still waiting, some 10 days after they had gathered in the upper room. They were still waiting. And and, and Luke notes for us that the day of Pentecost had come. Now, now the Lord had not yet poured out of his spirit as he had promised on the day of Pentecost of what we celebrate today. But the day of Pentecost was there. Here's what I want you to know. The day of Pentecost was something that the people of God already celebrated. That was an Old Testament feast. Pentecost was celebrated before this particular day of Pentecost that we celebrate here and now. The Jewish calendar centered on a number of feasts three of which required all males to appear before the Lord at the temple where God's presence was manifest in the Holy of Holies. They would pilgrim to Jerusalem. They would come to the temple to worship. And now certainly God was omnipresent. But in the Old Testament, his presence, his glory was manifest in the Holy of Holies. And so here they were at the day of Pentecost. It's also known as the Feast of Weeks. It became known as the day of Pentecost. If you took, um, Latin or some other foreign language, Penta, it means five, so pentagrams, five-sided, um, uh, 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 shapes and things like that. So, so it's five weeks, well, it's 50, not five weeks, it's about seven weeks. It's 50 days after Passover. So 50 days, Penta, Pentecost, it's 50 days this Feast of Weeks is. And so as they're celebrating Pentecost, as this great crowd is coming to Jerusalem where they are gathering, what is on their minds are at least two things. One is harvest. This is the feast of weeks. This is the first fruits of the harvest are celebrated, So that's the first thing that's on their minds. They're thinking about harvest. They would come to Jerusalem at this Feast of Weeks and they would celebrate by offering the first fruits of the crops with anticipation of more to come. They were glorifying God and praising God. Thank you, Lord, for providing these first crops. And we offer them to you knowing that the Lord's provision will still continue to provide. That this is just the beginning of the harvest. And so that's what's on their mind as they gather for that day of Pentecost. But something else is likely on their mind. This is the Feast of Weeks. They're thinking about harvest and offering the first fruits as, as that season comes. But also what's on their mind as they're gathered all together on this day of Pentecost and all these men come to Jerusalem to celebrate this great crowd. This feast also included celebration of covenant renewal. Because you remember after the first Passover, the Lord brought them into the wilderness and then he formed his covenant people, as it were, at Sinai. As he brought them out by his grace, he then gives them the law at Sinai. So this harkened back to Sinai, the giving of the law and the forming of God's people as God's voice thundered from the mountain and Moses came down with the tablets of the law. And so, a couple of things are on their mind as they are celebrating this feast of Pentecost, as they're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. It's a day of first fruits, a day of harvest, a day of covenantal renewal, of celebrating the formation of God's people. And so, already they're thinking the greater Passover has come. They're probably not connecting all the dots yet, but remember the first Passover they paint. The blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And God, by his grace, leads them out of Egypt, leads them out of captivity, and he leads them out. And then he forms the people, he forms his people at Mount Sinai, those whom the Lord has poured his grace upon. They have experienced the greater passover. That the lamb has been slain and the lamb has risen. And so perhaps, I, I'm, I'm reading into it here, perhaps they're, they're anticipating what the greater Pentecost might look like as the harvest comes, as God forms his covenantal people. So that's the day. That's what they're looking for. That's what they're thinking about. Perhaps that's some sort of expectation that is going on in their minds as they wait to see what the Lord might do. So first... We see the day and let's see what they experience. This is where we start to get a little maybe uncomfortable. And suddenly, verse two. So we've seen the day. Now let's see what they experience on that day. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so now, the promise that God had given them that He would pour out His Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has come. Now, now let's stop and just remind ourselves for a minute that the that the Holy Spirit, follow with me here, is not unique to the New Testament. We know the Spirit was was regenerating people and sanctifying people the spirit was was working at creation he he he's eternal uh, the spirit is and so the spirit is not unique to the new testament but we do see that the spirit does work uniquely in the new testament much like Christ the, the second person of the trinity always was but in the gospels we read that he took on flesh and and was was coming was uh, presented himself in a way that he had not Yet he took on flesh and dwelt among us. And so in a similar way, the the Holy Spirit is not unique to the New Testament, but he does work uniquely in the New Testament. So so what about this experience? It sounded like wind and appeared like fire. They were filled with the Spirit and they spoke as the Spirit gave utterance. The, The phenomenon that they are experiencing are signs of the presence of God. Remember the pillar of fire that led them by day. When the tabernacle and the temple were were dedicated, do you remember that the cloud came in like a, like a rushing wind? The Spirit of God filled that temple. The glory, the presence of the Lord filled the temple. And so the, the the images of what they are experiencing here is like when the when the Lord filled the temple in the same way. They are all being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now now Jesus uses some of this. This imagery he talks about breathing upon his disciples and saying he says breathe on them and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. This idea of, of breath, of wind, of life would have clicked in their heads, and so what they are experiencing is, is much like when the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And so what they are experiencing, as it were, is a dedica- is the dedication, I think, of of the new temple. Right off, we get a picture of what's happening. The The new temple is being dedicated. The Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are stones being built into one another, and that God dwells among us, By His Spirit in us in by His Spirit in that way. And so here's what I want you to see as the Spirit comes in the Pentecost, we see the Spirit of God filling the new temple, namely the people of God. More on that in a second. So that's what they are experiencing. Something else that they are experiencing when, in these divided tongues as, they're, as we see that they're going to see more of this in, in, in a second, and this wind, this mighty rushing wind blowing in and filling this entire house, that what they are experiencing is, as you were, this dedication of the new temple, and the Spirit now is restoring Israel. Re- remember what they asked before the ascension. At what time will you restore Israel. Remember what's in their mind at this point. God forms his people at Sinai, his covenantal people. And so I think what's happening here at Pentecost is God's giving us this this picture that he is restoring the true Israel, the true remnant, the true people of God, namely those who by faith trust in the Lord, namely those who confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. And so he's dedicating the new temple He's restoring the true Israel. And so now the law is not written on tablets, the Bible said. The law is now written on our hearts that the presence of God is now with us in a way that is different than it was then. More on that in a second. And so we see the presence of God inhabiting his people means that we are part of the new temple with Jesus being the center of it all, or as Paul puts it, the cornerstone. Don't believe me. Here's what the Bible says. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple, In the Lord. In Him, you, church, believers, are being built together into a dwelling place, temple for God by the Spirit. And so what they are experiencing is this dedication of the new temple, namely the people, not a place. The Spirit of God is restoring the true Israel at this time. And what they are experiencing, as they the Bible says, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. New temple, new people of God. Who are these people of God? They are now a kingdom of priests. Follow with me here. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 29, you maybe remember this story. The people of God are complaining. He's brought them out. He's brought them out of of Egypt. He's provided for them manna, and wouldn't you know it, the people of God are never satisfied with the Lord's provision. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone not being satisfied with the Lord's provision? They start complaining. What about the meat? There's no meat. And so God then provides quail for them. And Moses says, as he's dealing with these complaining people of God, he more or less says, I'm paraphrasing here, this is the Jared version, Moses says he'd rather be dead than lead these crybabies anymore. And the Lord empowered, so he helps Moses, he empowers seven, this is Numbers chapter 11 around verse 29, the Lord empowered 70 elders with his spirit to help. And they began to prophesy. Joshua gets worried because he hears these two guys guys prophesying when before it was only Moses that had the empowering of the Spirit in that way in order that he was able to prophesy. And Moses says, what, you're jealous on my account? Don't be jealous. Moses gives this cry to the Lord. Moses says, I wish all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit on all of them. So Moses has this desire in Numbers chapter 11 that God would put his spirit on the people of God in the same way that he was put on him to empower them in order to prophesy. Now it is important to say that the Holy Spirit did regenerate God's people before Pentecost. The old covenant saints needed the spirit in order to believe. The spirit gave them a love for God's law and a desire to obey it, But not all of the old covenant saints were given gifts by the Holy Spirit for ministry. And by contrast, we're going to see all new covenant believers are given such gifts in after Pentecost when God sends his spirit in this way and so the scriptures are anticipating the day and we'll see in the prophet Joel and participating anticipating the day when God would pour out his flesh on all people that all might receive this anointing that all would be prophets and all would be priests that we would see this day of what we call the priesthood of the believer and so we see when the spirit comes at Pentecost it says that it doesn't just fall on it doesn't just fill some of them it fills each of them, all of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. They began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. I know that might leave some other questions than answers, but we want to see the bigger picture. So the day that we're anticipating, forming of God's people, this great harvest… And what they see as they experience this thing is that the new temple, the filling of the spirit, we are a kingdom of priests, we, the Israel is being restored, the true people of God are being restored as He sends His Holy Spirit among us. Let's see the, the promise. By the way, we have a, at least one small group that meets at 5 o'clock here on campus that will further discuss these things. And so if you want to, um, to, to chew on these things even more with other believers, come here at 5 o'clock and you'll get to chew on uh, this together with some, some other believers uh, back there in the fellowship hall. How did they respond? Verse 5. Now they're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished and aren't all these Galileans? And they begin to speak in all these other languages. Remember, these people had gathered all around to worship and they're preaching the gospel. They're declaring the mighty works of God in languages that these Galileans had never studied. And so in this phenomenon, they're not speaking in this unintelligible language, they are speaking in a language that these people from all these nations understand. So we see some responses. So we saw the day, we saw what they experienced. What is the response? The response of believers, they began to testify about the mighty works of God. That's how you know the Spirit has come upon you in a simple way. You testify to the mighty works of God. You prophesy about the mighty works of God. This doesn't mean you prophesy about the future or things like this. This simply means that you declare the mighty works of God. And we see this. The curse of Babel, as it were, is reversed. When God confused the languages and spread the people out all over the face of the earth, we see a reversal of this curse where God brings together the nations and they're able to hear the gospel and they're able to form into God's people as he desired. And so the response of the believers... The response of those who were filled with the Holy Spirit was that they magnified Jesus and they preached the gospel to every tribe, tongue, nation, and land, praising the Lord. There was another response. They were bewildered, saying to one another, What in the world does this mean? We saw a little bit about what it means by some of our contextual clues. And others said, These guys are drunk. That's all that's going on. These guys are filled with new wine and they are drunk as skunks. So Peter stands up. So that's the response. But the day is not over. Peter stands up. So we've seen the day, we've seen what they've experienced, we've seen the the initial response. Some were magnifying Jesus, some were just saying that this is not true. They're drunk, they're out of their minds. But Peter stands up. Fourth thing that I want you to see is he gives an explanation. Here's what's happening. Peter, Peter stands up. Peter, the one who had denied Christ, is bold. The one who was cowering and denying Christ to a child weeks before now stands boldly before a crowd proclaiming Jesus. Nothing is impossible with Jesus. I think someone probably needs to hear that this morning. Perhaps you're thinking about your life, thinking about things you've done or whatever, and the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. There's nothing impossible with Jesus. Peter stands up. Peter stand up with 11, lifted his voice and addressed them. I'll explain this. Here's what's going on. Here's the explanation. Men of Judea, First, we're going to see this is what the prophets promised. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, follow along with me. Verse 14. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Verse 15. This is the first Christian sermon. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. They're not day drinking. They're they're, they're in their right minds. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So get this. I'm going to stop there for a second. The very desire that Moses had. God, would you pour out your spirit on all people? Numbers chapter 11. Remember he said that? Not just me in the 70s, but all people would prophesy. The prophet Joel prophesied it. And now we see what Moses longed for. What the prophets declared is now yes and amen at Pentecost. Yes, all God's people receive the anointing of the Spirit in this way where they are able to prophesy. This is what's going on, he's telling them. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams. He's quoting Joel here. "'Even on my male servants and female servants, "'in those days I will pour out my spirit "'and they shall prophesy.'" And I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. And so what does this mean? Peter is telling us, he stands up and proclaims boldly, brothers, all these Jews who are gathered here, who gathered here for the feast, this is what the Old Testament declared would happen, and it has come to pass. What the prophets prophesied has come to pass, and it's now reality. What God's people are experiencing is what we will experience when, when the new temple comes when God's spirit and glory come to live among us in a way that it had not before. Joel is declaring that the spirit has been pour, poured out on all flesh. That God is dwelling among his people and all are prophesying. Now this doesn't mean that they all are able to tell the future and things like that. What it means is they're all able to declare the mighty works of God in ways that Moses longed for all the way back in Numbers chapter 11. Joel talks about signs of the moon, the, the blood and fire and vapor and smoke. What Joel is saying is the last days have come. These are signs of judgment. And I think Joel was telling us that the sign that they're seeing the Spirit of God being poured out on all flesh is the sign that The last days have come, and that's what's happening, that we have entered into a new moment in redemptive history in the unfolding of God's plan. So Peter stands up and boldly declares, Brothers, this is what's happening. The last days have come. God's Spirit has been poured out of all flesh, and now all are anointed in the Spirit in a way that they were not in the old covenant. For a new day has come. And there's something else. So he tells this is what the prophets long for. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, so this is like point two of his sermon. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, he's proclaiming Jesus, was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So he starts proclaiming the risen Christ. He tells these Jews, this is the one that you crucified, but don't be mistaken. God was in charge of all that. It was according to his definite plan and foreknowledge, This lamb that was slain. And so what is he saying? What is he telling these Jews? For David says... He interprets this. Follow along with me. I saw that the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also dwell in hope. Verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and you will make full of my gladness with your presence. And so he is saying that David was talking about Jesus, King David, who you longs, who, whose throne you long to see again. So David prophesied about this. Brothers, look at what he says in verse twenty-nine. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried. So this psalm talks about an everlasting king who conquers death. You say that wasn't David? He's dead. David was talking about someone else. Look at his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, verse 30, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Do you see what he 's saying that this everlasting throne that you 've longed for, what you 're seeing this day at Pentecost, is a sign that Jesus resurrected Christ, never to die again, sits on the eternal throne until he makes his enemies your footstool. He is saying, brothers and sisters, this is a sign that Jesus reigns. Because he promised he would go to the Father. And the Father, as it were, has accepted his work. He has given him the gift of the Spirit to send to his people just as he has promised. So he is saying, what you are seeing today is confirming and declaring that the resurrected Christ rules and reigns. And he is the sovereign king, this one that you murdered, this one who died, this one who raised, this one who ascended is on the throne. He is saying Jesus is Messiah. He is Lord. He is King. He is the one you've longed for. Oh, wow. Maybe they're not drunk. But all the house Israel therefore knows certain that God has made him, verse 36, Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. So maybe they're not drunk. Maybe there's another response. And there is another response. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. This is what Moses longed for. This is what the prophets prophesied. This is what David talked about. This is what we've always longed for, the people of God to be formed. We've longed for the the, 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 the true temple. We've, We've longed for that. We've longed to be truly formed, for Israel to be restored. And this is it. Christ is the king. His coronation has happened. He sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father and the Spirit. Here's a work of the Spirit. He convicts. Here's the response. They're cut to the heart. I don't know if God's doing that to you right now. Okay, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He's not king of my life. He's not Lord of my life. I'm I'm going on without him. This resurrected king, this eternal king, is coming again. And they realize this is the true king. So they're cut to the heart. The spirit's at work. The spirit convicts. And he convinces them that some 3,000 of them So what's the work of this? It's convicting and the convincing power of the Holy Spirit. They were cut to the heart when they asked, brothers, what shall we do? Tell us how to respond. How to respond to this good news. We responded wrong before. The Spirit's convinced us. How do we respond? And and the answer is still the same. How do we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We admit that we are sinners. We admit that as they did, they were, they were murderers. We, we admit that we fall short of the glory of God. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, even to this day, everyone who trusts in Jesus as Lord and and King, who repents of their sins and follows him. A public sign of that is, is baptism. All who repent of their sin and trust in Christ will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for God has poured out himself on all flesh, just as he had promised. And, they were, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized for this promise for you and all. Verse 40. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation." Remember it was the day of harvest, the formation of God's people? Listen to this harvest on that Pentecost. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a harvest on that Pentecost. It was only the first fruits. That harvest is still happening today. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, the truth is that you're part of the reverberation of that. You're part of that harvest. And the Bible says that The gospel will go to the nations, and then Christ will come back. Christ has not come back, so there are still more to come into the harvest. And God is using Spirit-filled people, not just a few people, but all who call on the name of the Lord have received the Holy Spirit to prophesy about the mighty works of God that more might come into the harvest. If you are in Christ, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're anointed and empowered for ministry as the Lord has seen fit. So the Holy Spirit is not unique to the new covenant, but he does work uniquely in the new covenant. And I wonder if we're so worried about teasing out some things I talked about in the beginning that we could spend time teasing it out. What about the different kind of tongues that Corinthians talks about or other signs that we see? Are, are like those still around? Do we still look for those? I think we would be do, do do better this morning to ask ourselves if we are if one if we're believers if we have the, if you are a believer you have the spirit if you're not a believer you don't have the spirit but if you believe today you will receive the spirit today and wonder if we would ask ourselves lord would we go on being filled with the spirit the bible says don't quench the spirit Wonder of some ways in our lives that we are quenching the spirits, throwing water on the fire, saying, "Lord, I will not submit to you. I won't submit that part of my life to you. I'm going to quench the spirit's work, in my life. We pray through it, Ephesians chapter 4:29. says, "Don't let any uncorrupting talk come out of your, mo- your mouth. Only what's for building up and fits the occasion that it may give grace, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I wonder if some of the ways that we talk, some of the ways that we become anger and let the sun go down on our anger, that we give opportunity to the devil, that we don't do honest work. I wonder if some of those ways that we are grieving the spirit that the Lord has poured out upon us, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says, And don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, making much of Christ, giving thanks and everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is saying is don't live under the influence of other things. He uses the example of drunkenness there. He says, live under the influence of the the Spirit and go on being filled with the Spirit. So let let me just close out by asking. Better yet, let's go ahead and turn to the Lord in prayer. Why don't you ask the Lord this? Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. I want you to ask the Lord this. First of all, thank you if you're a believer. Thank you for pouring out your spirit upon all flesh in this way as that we see in Pentecost. And now I just ask them, Lord, is there, a, is there a way that I'm, something in my life where I'm throwing water on that fire, not stoking the flame and, and fanning the flame of what you've done in my life to tell the mighty works of God? Is there There's something I'm doing that's quenching, as the Bible says, the Holy Spirit. That's a biblical term, by the way, as I read to you, quench the Spirit. Ask him that. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He'll tell you. As a father would tell a child that, man, you're really hurting yourself. You're missing out. He'll tell you. Ask him, is there a way that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit? And the things I talk about, the way I tear people down, the way I gossip or the things I find myself spending time on that I should, is there a way that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit? That's Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter five. God, is there, is there something, ask him, is there something in my life that I'm, I'm living under the influence of? Yeah, Paul talks about debauchery, but maybe it's under under the influence of what people think. Under the influence of social media of under the influence of who knows what. But something has a louder voice in your life than following the lead of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're drunk on fear, drunk on acceptance or whatever. Living under the influence of something else. that's God to show you that. God, would you show us the way? Would we be, may I be so bold to ask, Pentecostal people who live under the influence of your spirit, proclaiming the mighty works of God in all of our lives for we are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for your own possession that we might proclaim the excellencies of you who has called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light once we were not a people but now we are God's people Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And to that we say, thank you, Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that the Spirit would be more evident in our lives today than it was yesterday, this week than it was last week, that we would go on being filled with the Spirit. And Father, I just want to say thank you for sealing us with your Spirit for the day of redemption, for the assurance that we have. Even when we've quenched and grieved and but under other influences, you've taken not your Holy Spirit from us. Thank you for sealing us with your Spirit. Father, give us understanding, give us grace, give us mercy. Give us you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you go ahead and